The Book of Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apthia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I want to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my, very own, with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord, Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that, that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. Last week, uh, one of our elders, Darian Lockett, he preached on the letter uh, called Jude. So Jude is probably one of the more forgotten and least studied books of the Bible and letters of the New Testament. And if Jude might be maybe the most forgotten and least studied, I'd say it's... Um, its competition as being the, the least studied um, book that we're least familiar with is probably this little letter called Philemon. We just read the whole letter. So if you don't know where Philemon is, it's the last of the letters of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. It's right after Titus and before, uh, before the book of Hebrews. Even though it's probably one of the least studied books, um, it's also one of the most personal. It's one of the most personal books in all of the Bible. And I think one of the most fascinating books in all of the Bible. Philemon, as we just read, is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul 
to someone who was a really dear friend, close friend of his, whose name was Philemon. Two weeks ago, I said, we finished our series on the book of Colossians, but that's not completely accurate because Philemon, this letter, is intricately connected to Colossians. They really need to be read together. Before we get into Philemon, it's important that we see its connection to Colossians. Why? Well, these two letters were both written at the same time by the Apostle Paul. These two letters were taken and they were delivered to a church at the same time. And they were meant to complement one another. Colossians. Colossians is a letter that tells us reconciliation is the mission of Jesus. Reconciliation is what Jesus is all about. Philemon is a letter that says, this is what reconciliation looks like in action, in real life. Just a quick review of Colossians before we get into this letter. At the beginning of Colossians, at, at the foundation of the letter, its theological center in chapter 1, we read that as Jesus takes first place, preeminence in our lives and everything, we see that his mission is to reconcile all the things in this life and in our lives that are divided, that are separated, all that is broken, his mission is to put it back together, to reconcile. Let's look at a passage real quick. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Colossians chapter 1. This is what Paul said. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. So Jesus has the first place. That's his mission. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So wherever Jesus is first, reconciliation follows. Reconciliation happens because that is what he does. People, groups, factions, enemies that were divided and split are reconciled, are brought back together when Jesus takes first place. This is also later on in the letter, chapter 3, we see this theme being repeated and said in a different way. Uh, chapter 3, 9 through 11, Paul is talking about this new man, this new self, which is really not just an individual thing. He's talking about a new humanity, a new community. He says, you have put, on, you have put off the old self with its practices. You've put on this new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator in Christ here it is, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. What Paul is doing is he's listing these people, these groups of people that would not have liked each other, they wouldn't have spent time together, they wouldn't have hung out together. He's listing them all together and he's saying, in Christ, these people who would never even speak to one another, are reconciled. They become the kind of people who say, as they look into each other's eyes, you're family. I love you. That's what Jesus does. Why is all this background important? Because Philemon is a very personal outworking of the theology of reconciliation here in, in uh, Colossians. Who was Philemon? He was, a, he was a member of the church there, in Colossae, so he would have read 
and heard this letter read, the book of Colossians. And in Philemon, what we find is we get a real-life test case of the things that Paul is saying Jesus is all about happening in people's lives. And we see how that's happening in Philemon. How does the gospel reconcile people from two different classes and backgrounds and stations in life who are in a very messy and complicated relationship and situation? They both likely had good reason to be offended by the other. And into this hard and messy situation, God weaves a story of reconciliation that shows this is what he does and this is what he can do in and through us. And all the ways that we experience division and conflict in our lives, personal conflict, the divisions that are at work in the factions and the groups and the perspectives in our society, class, race, politics, whatever, Philemon is a call to reconciliation wherever we find ourselves in a place of division. So here's the plan. We're going to look at the story of reconciliation here in Philemon for two weeks. Today, we're going to see how it's a call to reconciliation, how it is that the gospel calls us to reconciliation. And next week, we're going to look at it one more time, and we're going to look at how it shows us the way that we become reconcilers. So today, we're going to look at the call to reconciliation here in the letter called Philemon. The first thing we need to do, though, is to understand this story. For some of you, it might be the very first time that you've thought about this letter or heard this letter written. So what's going on between Philemon, this guy Onesimus, and Paul? What's the story? The backstory, as I said, it begins in Colossians. If you have your Bible, you could flip there. It's in Colossians 4.9. A guy named Tychicus, he was the one who took Colossians, which was written by Paul. He took it and he delivered it to the church. And in Colossians 4.9, it says he traveled with another guy, that guy's name was Onesimus. Paul said there in Colossians, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They'll tell you about everything here. And the question is, what are they going to tell us about? About what? And that's where the story begins. When Tychicus showed up with a new letter from the Apostle Paul to the church, they were very excited. They said, we get to hear from Paul. He's going to help us grow in our faith. We get to know what's going on with him. Let's read the letter. Let's hear the letter. But then they saw walking into the church with Tychicus was this guy named Onesimus, and they all knew who Onesimus was. And everybody was looking, going, what's he doing here? Why is he with him? What in the world happened, and what's going on? Now, imagine if, if there's two people... In your life, you know they don't like each other. You know they're at odds with one another and things are not good with them. And you're at a gathering, you're at a party with one of them who is invited. And you're hanging out, the party's going on, people are mingling. And all of a sudden, somebody walks in, another person who is invited with a person who's not invited. And you know the person who is here in the gathering has something against the person who came who's not invited. And everything gets very awkward at that moment. Like, who invited that person? Why are they here? Is something going to come up? Is a fight going to break out? What is going to happen? That's the tension that happened when the letter to the Colossians was delivered to the church by Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul knew that would happen 
when Onesimus showed up. So he wrote it for everyone to hear. Hold on, he's coming with Tychicus. I planned for this. He's a faithful brother. He's dearly loved. He's one of you. They're going to tell you the story. What is the story? We have to go back and get the backstory. In verses 9 through 14, we pick up some of the clues. Paul's very careful. Because things were so bad between Onesimus and Philemon, he's very careful and sensitive about how he talks about it. He doesn't come out and say it. So we have to read between the lines a little bit to figure out what happened and piece the story together. What we see is that Paul is appealing to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus because Onesimus was a slave or a bondservant. In Greek, it was called the doulos in Philemon's house who had run away and almost certainly as he ran away, he had took some of Philemon's stuff or his money. He was not a Christian at the time that he ran away, but he was a member of Philemon's house as a doulos, a slave bondservant. We don't know exactly why Onesimus ran away. It doesn't say. But we do know that somehow Onesimus connected with Paul. And this is the crazy part. Where was Paul? Most likely he was in Rome. He was in prison. And somehow this man Onesimus, who'd run away from Colossae, which is miles, hundreds of miles away, reconnected with the Apostle Paul while Paul was in prison. And then the craziest thing of all happened. As he was connecting with Paul, he heard the gospel and he became a Christian. And so after that moment, Paul and Onesimus are like looking at each other, if you can imagine it with me, and they're saying, well, now what do we do? And I think we can, we can surmise that Onesimus and Paul together decided that one of Onesimus' first steps in following Jesus was to be reconciled to Philemon as a now brother in the faith. Do you see why this is complicated and messy and sticky and many different levels? That's what happened. That's the backstory. So as we get the letter to Philemon, we have to ask the question, well, what's the point of the letter? What is Paul actually asking Philemon to do. So he goes back, Onesimus goes back with Tychicus. And remember this, or note this if you didn't know, for a doulos to run away from their household was a serious crime. It could be punished uh, by death. So what, what was Paul asking Philemon to do? As you heard it read, what do you think he was asking him to do? What did you hear? It's subtle, but it's very bold what Paul is asking. The answer is found in verses 15 through 18. If you could just look at these verses with me, we have to go slow. We're going to piece it apart and figure out what he's asking. In general, he's asking Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus, to forgive him. More specifically, he wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus of any and all wrong and receive him as a brother. We need to get even more practical and even more specific. What was Paul really asking if Philemon did this? We have to look closely at verses 15 through 18. He says to him, you get him back now. I want you to receive him back, reconcile forgiven, permanently. Look at verse 15 and 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
We can't spend a ton of time on each of these, but we have to go through all of these to figure out what Paul's asking him to do. First, he says, receive him back permanently. In a different translation, maybe you have one open. It says, receive him back forever. Receive him back eternally. Paul is saying something of eternal significance is going on here between you and Onesimus. He says, no longer as a slave, more than a slave, a brother. A brother. At this time and in this day, to call somebody a brother, that was, even more than your spouse, that was the most loyal, connected, and honoring relationship in the ancient world, your brother. He would die for your brother. He was your equal. It was the closest of all relational ties in the ancient world. Paul says, he is especially my brother to me. But then he says... Philemon, how much more to you? Your brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What is he saying? This is not just a spiritual truth for you to acknowledge. This is a practical truth in the flesh for you to put into practice in your real relationship with Onesimus. And lastly, in verse 17, Paul says, welcome him as you would welcome me. How would you treat me, Philemon, if I showed up? Treat him that way, just like me. We take all that together and we come back to the question, what's Paul asking Philemon to do? There are different opinions on this, but I'm convinced, along with a number of scholars, that what Paul is asking Philemon to do is to set Onesimus free immediately. This was a radical thing to do in the ancient world. This was an unheard of thing to do. We've been in Colossians and in Philemon talking about a sensitive issue of slavery in the ancient world. Just a quick note on that. The Bible clearly condemns what we know as slavery. Slavery is practiced in the African slave trade. Kidnapping and enslaving people is forbidden in Exodus 21, as well as in the message of creation and reconciliation of the equal dignity of people as created in the image of God and as redeemed in the new creation in Christ. Galatians 3.28, there is no slave or free. Colossians 3.11, there is no slave or free in Christ anymore. There is a clear basis for equal human rights of all. But why then doesn't Paul come out and say it? We ask. He's being very subtle. He's being very indirect, but he's being very bold. But he doesn't come out and say, let's end this. Starting here, Philemon, let's end the practice of slavery. Why doesn't he come out and say it? I wish it was just bold and clear like that. But a part of the answer to why it, that question is found in Philemon. It's not about the topic or the institution of slave ownership. That's not what Philemon is about. But when understood properly in this little letter, we find the gospel being applied to a particular situation and relationship in a way that undermines slavery at its very root. As two individual Christians, one a doulos, a slave, a bondservant, one, the owner. They put reconciliation into practice. We see something that was so entrenched at the time, so assumed at the time, begin to disintegrate in the story of reconciliation with these two men. To come back to the story, what happened? What did Philemon do? What happened to Onesimus? Well, once you get sucked into the story, that's the burning question. What happened? Did he take him back? Did he set him free? The answer is, it doesn't say. 
here in the letter what happened. So we don't know for sure. But we do have a pretty good idea as to how everything turned out. It would be odd if Philemon rejected what Paul said, rejected Paul's appeal. It would be odd if for it to be in our Bibles in the New Testament. Rather, it was kept. It was shared. It's here in the New Testament because the reconciliation of Paul and Onesimus became, as one scholar says, an enacted parable of the gospel. So do you want to see what the gospel is? I'll show you in this relationship. It happened in Colossae one time between a guy named Philemon and a guy named Onesimus. The outcome, I think we can be sure, was reconciliation. It's a beautiful story. It's a true story of gospel reconciliation in action. And many historians, this is a little bit of a side note, believe not only did Onesimus, uh, not only was he set free by Philemon, but he went on to become one of the most important and prominent leaders in the church in that region. There's a historical document that mentions a guy named Onesimus who was the bishop over the church at Ephesus. He was the leader of all the churches over that region. And many scholars say that's the same person. It's a story of reconciliation, of how God completely transformed two people, Philemon and Onesimus. That's the story. What's the takeaway for us? Is it only an interesting story and an inspiring story? I would say no. It's much more than that. It's meant to show us through a super messy and broken and complicated situation that we are called to reconciliation in our super messy, broken and complicated relationships and situations. It's a call to reconciliation to us. At this time, as I said, what what Philemon was being asked to do was unheard of. Reconcile with the runaway slave, forgive him, release his debt, treat him as a brother, even set him free. Philemon was thinking, what about justice? What about the law? What about my rights? Did, Did Onesimus even learn his lesson? Come on, Paul. What are you asking me to do? Philemon shows us that not only God, does God call us to reconciliation in the hardest cases and in the hardest relationships, it shows us how does God go about calling us to do something. If there's a relationship, if there's a conflict, if there's a division in our life where we say, there's no way, I'm not going to go there, too much water under the bridge, it's too difficult, too messy, too broken. Philemon in this letter is a call. And it shows us how God calls us to reconciliation when we think it's impossible. And the way that Philemon does this is it calls us to step back and to remember to see things the way that God does. Isn't that the hardest thing of all when we're in a conflict, when we're in a division, when we're in a super messy, broken, complicated situation? Philemon says, I want to show you what it looks like when God calls you to, to go and to be reconciled, to step back See that person and see that situation the way God does. And it does that in a, in a few different ways. I want to share those with you. First, look at verses 11 and 12. Philemon says, step back and remember there's a greater power, 11 and 12. If you look at verses 11 and 12, it's a little weird. Like, what is going on? Paul is playing on Onesimus' name. Onesimus, the name, means useful. That's what it means. So if you were to translate this, it would say useful was once useless to you, but now he is useful 
to both you and to me. In the original language, it sounds even closer. It's akrestos is useless. Eukrestos is useful. Notice how close that sounds to the Greek word for Christ. Sounds the same, Christos. That's intentional. Without Christ, this, who, this is who Anisimus was, but now he is in Christ. Now, if you have ever heard or said to anyone, or even just thought this in your mind, he or she is useless to me. That is like one of the worst things you could ever say to somebody. That's one of the worst things you could ever think about somebody. You say, this person is written off to me. They are dead to me. They have no place in my life. I don't need them. Onesimus' life is proof that God can and God loves to take what was and make anew what is. This is who he was, but that is not who he is anymore. There's a greater power at work. That's something we need to remember. In Christ, there is a power to transform what once was to us, useless and hopeless, to bring a complete 180-degree transformation in that relationship. God can work in any person. God can work in any situation. We cannot do it. He can. Remember, there's a greater power. Never write anyone or anything off. Next. Not only is there a greater power, there is a bigger story. This little story of Philemon and Onesimus Paul, as he's calling into reconciliation, says, step back, Philemon, there's a bigger story. Look at verse 15. He says, for perhaps. There's so much in that one little word. He says, for perhaps. Philemon, perhaps you could look at this from a different angle. Paul never says, did you notice this? He never says, Philemon, Onesimus ran away, I get it. And he wasn't trying to hide the fact of what happened. He was asking Philemon to see that there was something bigger happening. There was someone bigger at work. God, it's, God was the one who was at work. Look at how he says, for perhaps he was separated from you. And the question is, who separated them? This is the passive voice. Who separated these two men? This is what theologians call the divine passive. This is how the authors subtly communicate God was at work. Even in this broken situation of a runaway slave, God was the one working something bigger, bitter, bigger and something better in this situation. He provides an interpretation of the conflict through the lens of God's providence and the larger story. The larger story of reconciliation of lost and runaway sinners to a loving father. That's the big story. Notice how in God's story, there's a very different timetable at work. It says, we don't know how long the separation took place, but Paul says, he was separated from you for a brief time. It literally means for an hour. He says, Philemon, this was just an hour of separation. It's so short in the big picture. In light of God's greater eternal plan for people, he says, it's so short but now you can have them back forever, for eternity. God's great eternal plan for people is that we might be reconciled to him and to each other. And what will happen in eternity when this life is over for us, we'll be celebrating our reconciliation with God the Father and we'll be celebrating forever our reconciliation 
to each other. Paul says, Philemon, remember that timetable. Look at this man, now your brother, through that eternal lens. Little application for us in conflict. When God says to us, go and be reconciled, we need to step back and remember the bigger story. Perhaps God is at work. Perhaps he's weaving together a story of impossible reconciliation in your life. Perhaps we need to consider God's timeline to see this person in light of the larger timetable of eternity. There's a greater power, there's the bigger story, and lastly, there's the bigger debt. Paul says in verse 19, not to mention, now whenever we do that, whenever we say those words, not to mention dot, 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 what are we really saying? Actually, by saying not to mention, I'm going to mention this, and this is the most important thing that I want to tell you. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, you need to hear this. It's going to be hard for you to hear. But if he's wronged you in any way, or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention, you owe me your very self. I think this is the most important moment in the letter. When Philemon got to this point in the letter, I bet his heart was beating and his breath was taken away. In this letter and in the call to reconciliation, when God calls us to reconciliation, I think this is the most important moment, not to mention. Paul is gently and lovingly reminding Philemon, not of the debt that Philemon owes to Paul, but in a gentle way and in a loving way. He's saying, Philemon, do you remember the bigger debt that you owe to God? Not to mention what God has done with your debt. In this real-life parable of the gospel, God is gently and lovingly reminding all of us what we owe to him and what he's done with that debt. And as we step back, as we remember the bigger debt, it's meant to reach deep into our hearts for us to realize what we owe is always greater than whatever is owed to us. What we owe is always greater than what is owed to us. Until we feel that, until we get that, until we know that in the depth of our heart, forgiveness will be hard, impossible for us. Reconciliation won't work. Martin Luther said it in this way, we are all Jesus's Onesimus if we believe. To be a Christian means we have to see we are Onesimus before we forgive an Onesimus. We have to see we are Onesimus before we reconcile to an Onesimus in our lives. We once had an infinite debt that we owed before God for running away from him. We didn't want him to be Lord over our lives, so we ran away and we have fled and we have looked to other lords and other gods. We have robbed God of his glory. All the love and obedience he is due as a God over all creation. How did God deal with this debt that we owe? Colossians 2. Back to Colossians, it tells us. Let's put that verse, Colossians 2, on the screen. He erased the certificate of debt 
with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He absorbed the debt. In Christ, the debt was nailed to Christ. Now it is erased. Now it is gone. All obligations are erased. In Jesus, God is saying to us, whatever was owed, whatever is owed to me, Jesus says, on the cross, it was charged to my account. I take it into my account. Our debt became his. His perfect account became ours. So now he calls us former enemies and runaways, his brothers, the ones to whom he looks and says, you are my very heart. 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As a power for reconciliation. Jesus has reconciled us. It's done. The debt is erased. He's done the impossible in us. What we were, we are no longer. We have become his very own dear heart, and we owe Jesus our very own selves. And out of that love, out of that wonder, we have the resources to forgive other people. I just want to close with a final thought. Philemon is a very personal letter. You could say it's the most personal of any book in the entire Bible. In it, we see God cares about the personal. He cares about the very individual and personal relationships in our lives, and he wants to see his reconciliation flow into those relationships. And so for the next two weeks, this week, on into next week, when we'll take another look at Philemon, I want to ask everyone to consider how God, through this letter, Philemon, might be calling you to reconciliation. Just take some time to consider that. Is there an Onesimus in your life that Jesus might be calling you and saying, first, go, be reconciled. There is a greater power. Whatever was doesn't have to be anymore. Perhaps God is at work even now to write a story of reconciliation in your life for his glory. Whatever you're owed, you can release it. You can be freed from it. And you can know your reconciler, Jesus, in a deeper way than maybe you ever have before. Consider that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this story, this parable, it's so fascinating to me, it's so fascinating to us, but I pray that as we have learned this story, as we have soaked in this story a little bit, that it would get deep into our bones, into our heart, and that we would see, first of all, the wonder, the impossible wonder, that we are completely and fully reconciled to you. That even if we are in a broken and messy situation and relationship and it's all our fault, that that is actually a debt that has been paid and removed. We can be set free from that. That it's erased. The certificate has been nailed 
to the cross and is done. I pray that you would not let us move away from that place where we see and realize the enormity and the immensity of the debt that we have owed to you is gone, has been forgiven. Work that into us at your table as we come forward and meet with you. Work that in. And also, Lord, as we consider perhaps you're doing something in our lives, perhaps you can work reconciliation in a way we would never have imagined, we would never want. But perhaps help us consider, break into our hearts, show us who or how or what we might be able to do in order to taste and give others a taste of your forgiving and reconciling grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.